everyone, my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is February 5th through the 11th of the Come Follow Me program associated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are in the year 2024, which means we're studying the Book of Mormon. And for this week in Come Follow Me, we're going to be talking about 2 Nephi. We have just gotten into 2 Nephi. Now, one of the chapters for this week includes something known as Nephi's Lament, or as I prefer to call it, Nephi's Psalm, we get a very deep glimpse into Nephi's thoughts and into his soul, not just stories about him, but how he was really feeling. And there are so many lessons that we can pull from these words and this vulnerability that Nephi shares with us. Now, I don't want to focus on individual phrases from this psalm. What I actually want to do is I want to look at it as a whole because I feel like when we look at it as a whole, we can see these different transitions that Nephi makes throughout his psalm. And these are transitions that we can mimic and it will bless our lives. Now, all throughout the Book of Mormon that we've been reading thus far, we see examples of Nephi's righteousness, right? We see how he followed his dad away from his home and was so faithful about it. We see how he valiantly encouraged his brothers when they were really discouraged about trying to go and get the plates from Laban. We see how he frankly forgave them after he they beat him with a rod. Right? We see all of these really, really incredible examples of Nephi and his faith. Oddly enough, <laughs> there is also something very strengthening and reassuring when we hear about the vulnerability and weaknesses of others. <laughs> and there is sometimes when we're willing to be vulnerable and share those weaknesses, we are able to connect with others in a way that would otherwise be impossible. Now, we catch this glimpse into Nephi's heart. We catch these glimpses of his imperfection. And that's why this is one of my favorite Nephi moments. <laughs> Out of all of the examples that we have from Nephi, this is one of my favorite examples that he gives us. He bears his whole soul, right? His father has just died. And he could have chosen to try and deal with that grief in a lot of different ways. He chose to record it for future posterity for us. He chose to record it and we literally get to watch him as he's processing grief and some of the other feelings that came with this particularly difficult part of his life. And because we're, it's not only just like a beautiful process to watch him working through these feelings, it is also a process that we should mimic in our own lives, that we can mimic again and again and again, no matter the severity of what we're going through. We can mimic it. And then on top of that, when we choose to go through the same process out loud at appropriate times, like Nephi did, we will be able to connect with others and help others in the way that Nephi gets to connect with us. And help us. So as we're, like I said, I wanted to look at his 
lament as a whole. And I'm kind of breaking it into four parts. And so I'm going to read a verse from each of these parts and talk about kind of how he transitions in his feelings as he's going through this. So this is Second Nephi. These are all chapter 4. Okay, so they're all going to be in chapter 4. We're going to read different verses in chapter 4. The first one is verse 17. It says, Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord and showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am. My heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. And so he's talking about his discouragement. And he's struggling with his weaknesses and his sins and his flaws. And then he goes on and he says, I know who I'm, I know who I've trusted. So he goes from, I am worthless or discouraged, those kinds of feelings into, but I know who I trust. I know who he is and how he feels about me. I know in whom I have trusted. This is verse 20. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. And so he talks about how he has this ultimate being who's behind him. He lists all these things that the Lord has done for him that so openly show how much the Lord loves him and is willing to help him along. And then we kind of come into this verse. So this is verse 26. It says, Oh, then if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow? And why, and my flesh waste away and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions. And he goes on to talk about like, why am I yielding to sin? Why am I angry because of other people? Like I've seen all these incredible things that the Lord has given me. I've I know, I know the reality of the plan of salvation. I know the reality of the atonement. I know these things. The Lord has shown me all these things. The Lord's given me all these tender mercies. Why am I still falling short? Why am I letting Satan destroy my peace? And then there's this last transition. Happens a little sooner than this verse, but this is the verse that I chose to share. So it says, Oh Lord, wilt thou encircle me? This is verse 33. O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape before mine enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way, but that thou wouldst clear my way before me and hedge not up my way, but the ways of mine enemy? And so at the very end, we see Nephi kind of transition more into a plea with the Lord to help him, right? To continue to help him, to continue to reach out to him. And this actually reminds me of the hymn, Come thou found. It talks, there's a line in there that hits me every single time I hear it. And it talks about how prone to wander, right? Like as humans, we know we're prone to wander. So even as Nephi is talking about all these ways, the ways that the Lord has helped him, and he ends with this plea, like, please stay with me. Don't hedge up my way. Please can keep shutting the guts of the gates of hell from before me. Keep reaching out to me. Now, these transitions that we're reading about in these verses, I feel like in them, we actually find the secret to Nephi's Nephi's, Nephi's optimism. We see how he does it, right? Because we see all these examples of him just being like, we're going to do this and it's going to be amazing. And 
the Lord's going to lead us, and I have no idea what I'm going to do, and Laban wants to kill me, but the Lord's going to help me. And we see that kind of spirit in Nephi over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) But in this particular record, I feel like we find the secret about how Nephi is like that. There are a lot of people who wear optimism as a mask. They feel like they have to be optimistic. They're supposed to be optimistic. It's their duty. They don't want to talk about vulnerability or pain. It's too scary or hard. But this psalm, this way, the way that we get to read Nephi's thoughts, what he's really feeling, he's showing us exactly where his heart is. We see evidence of a man who truly engages with optimism. And he feels it because of the choices that he makes. And he shows us exactly what those choices are. (laughs) And it's so interesting because a majority of those choices, I guess, not a majority of the choices, but the most important choice that Nephi makes actually happens internally and affects all of his actions. I know that all of us understand the feeling that Nephi was having in the beginning where we feel worthless or discouraged or we feel like we just can't get past these mortal weaknesses and it's been a bad day and we know we messed up a lot. And yeah, mostly that discouragement, I guess. Do we also follow this same transition that Nephi chose? So he's feeling discouraged, but then he takes a step back and he's like, no, I know the doctrine. I know the plan of salvation. I know what my weaknesses are about. I know what the atonement is for. I know what Christ suffered and I know that he did it for me and that he loves me. I know the doctrine. Nephi goes on and he talks about all these past ways, like he lists them, all these ways that the Lord has shown up for him in the past, right? Do we follow those same steps where we are feeling discouraged and then we kind of pump the brakes a little bit and we're like, but I know who has my back. This is a bad day, but I know who, and I know in whom I have trusted. Do we choose to follow that same path that Nephi did where we start thinking of all the ways that the Lord has shown up for us in the past? And I want to talk a little bit more about the transitions that keep happening, right? Because after he talks about, I know in whom I've trusted, he lists all the ways that the Lord has shown up for him. It almost kind of seems like he falls back into despair a little bit again, where it almost seems as if he becomes discouraged again. So, for example, he's like, why do I give way to temptations? Why do I let the evil one into my heart to destroy my peace and anger or peace and afflict my soul? Why am I angry because of my enemy? Right? It almost seems like he's getting discouraged again and he's falling into despair again. And that could be a completely accurate interpretation of this. In fact, I've interpreted it that way many, many times. But as I was reading it this time, I actually saw it a little bit differently. I didn't see Nephi falling back into discouragement. What I actually saw was as he had been writing out all these ways that the Lord had helped him. And as he was recalling all of the ways that the Lord has shown up for him, he was like, 
What am I even doing? Why am I even worried about these things? Why am I letting Satan into my heart to destroy my peace? (laughs) I don't have to, right? Why do I let anger come in? Why am I letting all these negative feelings come in? The Lord loves me. I'm going to be fine, right? There have been many times that I have seen Nephi when I've read this and I've felt like Nephi was falling back into discouragement. And that's probably because of where I was at in my own life. But this time as I read it, I read, instead of him falling back into discouragement, I read Nephi actually standing taller, seeing more clearly, recognizing Satan and what is actually occurring right in his mind, and then casting Satan off, right? (laughs) We can follow these same transitions that Nephi made. We can, as we imitate it, whether on paper or just more consciously in our head, where we are consciously recognizing Satan, recognizing the discouragement, and then choosing to transition it in the same way that Nephi did, transitioning it into faith, right? We can find the optimism that Nephi found. And it happens in these steps. We acknowledge it, right? We acknowledge We don't have to pretend it's not there. We don't have to like push it to the back of our minds and always try to put on a brave face. We can face it head on how we're feeling. Then we make the conscious choice, the very conscious, simple choice to trust God because that is just a choice. I am going to trust God. I'm going to trust what he's told me. I'm going to trust that he loves me, that he's taking care of it, and that he will continue to take care of it. The next step is actually kind of just a supporting step to the second step. It's when you look back and you look at all the ways that the Lord has shown up for you in the past, right? It kind of bolsters it. And as we follow these steps that Nephi took internally, right? These aren't even outward steps. But as we are consciously, internally taking these steps, We will find the same optimism that Nephi found. We won't have to force it. Our eyes will be opened and we will recognize that we have nothing to fear. Now, this actually kind of segues into another thought that I was having recently about the concept of worry. And worry is a really interesting concept in my mind because of its close association with love, right? I feel like there are many times... When you love someone, (laughs) worry can often follow that feeling of love, right? They often come together, right? And I think sometimes because of this close association, we take this concept of worry and we translate it into something good and we encourage it, right? And I believe that there are totally appropriate bounds for that. There are totally appropriate times when we, when it's okay to worry, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about when it gets taken out of its proper bonds. So for example, we believe that if we truly love someone, we're going to worry about them, right? Or we, okay, let me explain this a little bit better. We take worry and we look at it as a righteous principle in and of itself. So for example, I'm worrying about someone because I care about them. I'm worried about my salvation because I'm humble and I'm not just going to assume I'm worthy. 
I am worried about whether I'm going to accomplish everything because then the Lord knows I'm anxiously engaged, right? Which is kind of ironic if you think about it too long. There are appropriate bounds for worry. But sometimes we take worry and we turn it into this righteous principle, I think subconsciously. And it almost becomes this compulsion of righteousness. Like we feel like we have to worry that we can't let go of it. Because if we are worrying, it is equivalent to how much we care, right? If we actually care, there's going to be worry with it. They have to come together. There's no reason to be ashamed of being worried. That's not what I'm trying to say here because sometimes worry can also lead to action. There have been times in my life when I know my mom got really worried about me and it was a spirit warning her and it came from the spirit and she acted in a way that protected me. Worry can lead us to action. However, Nephi in this psalm is proof that you don't have to worry in order to be righteous or loving or engaged, they don't have to come together. We should not take them, we should not take worry out of its proper bounds. It's almost like guilt, you know, like when we take guilt too far into shame and we feel like we have to hold on to that guilt because it means we really felt bad for what we were doing when really the Lord just wants us to like let go of it. <laughs> we hold on to that worry because. It means that we care and it matters to us when really the Lord just wants us to let go of it and to trust him and you can still care about it without worrying about it. So not only is Nephi an example of the fact that we don't have to worry and that worry is not an essential ingredient to caring, Nephi is also an incredible example of how to pull ourselves out of worry, of how to make that transition from an inappropriate amount of worry or not inappropriate. It sounds really intense. A damaging amount of worry, <laughs> how to transition it into trust. And when we make that simple choice to trust, we find that rejoicing. Our eyes are opened. We're able to cast Satan off so that he can no longer destroy our peace of mind. There are many reasons why I love Nephi's psalm. One of those reasons is because of how it gives us a glimpse into Nephi's heart, right? I think when we read about a lot of these examples of Nephi, all of his really incredible righteous examples, his example of building a boat when he's never built one before, <laughs> or making tools, and he's never made these tools before as far as I know, Right, we see all these like crazy things that he accomplished simply by faith, right? It is very easy to kind of separate Nephi from ourselves. He's different. We put him on a pedestal. Nephi is other, right? He is unrealistic, which dramatically cuts off our desire to try, right? He is other. We are very impressed by his actions of faith, but we don't always follow them because Nephi is other. Because Nephi chose to be vulnerable and share that he has these same feelings as everybody else, 
we can read those words and realize that we can follow Nephi into those same miracles of faith. Because he's been right where we're at. <laughs> like I said, it's mostly an internal choice here, right? An internal choice to trust. Because Nephi chose to be vulnerable to say that I have gotten angry, that I have let Satan take my peace away, that I am a wretched man, right? We've been there. <laughs> and we can follow Nephi into the same miracles that he experienced in his life. And it all comes down to a simple transition, a simple choice of choosing to trust. I think sometimes subconsciously, we may feel like we don't deserve to step into that kind of rejoicing and that kind of peace. <clears throat> There's a piece of me that thinks that maybe Nephi knew exactly how that felt too. <laughs> However, it is a commandment. It's a literal commandment of the Lord to trust him. A commandment as important as any of the Ten Commandments. It is a commandment to trust the Lord. And like so many other examples of Nephi, Nephi followed that commandment. And we can follow it too. And as we do, as we make that simple choice internally to trust the Lord, that is how we are led to the peace that Nephi has found. That's how we are led to the faith that Nephi had. That is how we are led to the miracles that Nephi experienced. It's that simple internal choice to trust the Lord and to not <laughs> push ourselves down, right? To allow the Lord to lift us up. It all comes down to trusting him. I am grateful that Nephi chose to be vulnerable. I'm grateful that out of all the ways that he could have processed his grief, he chose to record it for us. And there's an extension here that, and I mentioned it in the beginning, there are appropriate times, right? We don't need to get up a testimony meeting and air all of our dirty laundry, but there are appropriate times to be vulnerable, to express weakness, <coughs> to express flaws, because sometimes it is that very vulnerability that actually enables us to reach people that we could never reach with words like, be faithful, you can do this, right? It furthers our ability to connect and encourage others. Sometimes knowing you're just not alone in your feelings of despair and discouragement go a long way. And when you combine that vulnerability, right? If I go to someone and I'm able to be vulnerable and I'm able to be vulnerable in the absence of shame, it gives other people the permission to do the same thing, to be like, oh, I have flaws. It's fine <laughs> because I also have a Lord who loves me. I am grateful for a Lord who loves me. I am grateful that he gave us the scriptures. I am grateful for the example of righteous, imperfect people. <clears throat> I am grateful for when they chose to be vulnerable 
to give us an example to show us that they are on the same level as us, that they are in the same place of us, place as us, experience the same feelings as us, and how we can follow them into these incredible lives of miracles and the ability to do what the Lord would have us do. I know that through the Lord, I can do all things. And I know that through the Lord, you can do all things. <laughs> he has come to show me who he is. And so it makes it very easy when I remember that, when I remember what he has taught me about himself, it becomes very easy to cast off Satan and not let him destroy my peace of mind anymore. I am grateful for that knowledge and that testimony. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.